church family, would you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to join with other believers around this room, many others to be able to say those words, bless the Lord, O my soul. And so, Father, as we come and as we open your word together to the Psalms, Lord, I pray that, that as we think about those words that we just sung, that they wouldn't just be facts that we know, more knowledge that we add, but I pray that that reality, Lord, would be evident in our lives, that we truly would bless you, that with all of our soul, we would come to you this morning. You alone are the satisfaction of our soul. You have given us so much, Lord. And so I pray this morning that who you are and what you've done would be overwhelming to each one of us today. May we leave with a greater appreciation, a greater gratitude, a greater joy, a greater sense of security because of what we read in your word. We thank you also for the opportunity as a church family later in the service to be able to take the Lord's Supper together. Would these realities truly not just be facts that we know, but may they be knowledge that changes how we live. Would you do what only you can do, and that's to change our hearts this morning as we open your word. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray together. Amen. Thank you, David and worship team. really appreciate you leading us this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and find it. Uh, if you didn't bring one, grab the one in the pew seat or uh, under your chairs if you're up there in the balcony. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 103 this morning, so go ahead and begin to make your way there. Psalm 103. We're continuing our sermon series, Soul Songs, which of course are looking at different psalms and seeing how these people process their emotions in the presence of God. As you find your way to Psalm 103, I would like to just ask you a series of questions about what you remember. I don't need you to raise your hand this morning. I just need you to think about these things just for a moment with me. I wonder how many of you in this room remember the very first time that the United States of America landed on the moon. You remember Neil Armstrong taking those first steps. How old were you in that moment? You don't have to shout it out. I don't need to know out loud. Thank you. How did you feel in that moment? How did that event impact you? For those of you like myself who were not alive in that moment, here's another one for you. How many of you remember the attack on the World Trade Center, the Pentagon on 9-11? What were you doing when you heard that news? How did it affect you? What emotions and feelings and thoughts came? How did that impact your actions on that day? For those of you who are married, how many of you remember the day of your wedding? Hopefully, right? You at least have the date right. But how many of you remember seeing that spouse for the first time? How many of you remember looking into their eyes and speaking those vows of your unending commitment to them? How many of you remember that this morning? Or how about a day that's almost up there with the wedding day? How many of you recall the very first time you ate an In-N-Out burger? <laughs> right? An amazing experience. Who were you with in that moment? What was that like? I know we have lots of kids in the room, so I want to include you guys. Kids, how many of you remember one month ago waiting to open those Christmas presents? I bet you guys do, right? The experience of that, the emotions of that. Now, the reason I'm asking these questions is I want you to understand this morning that there are two different types of remembering. 
Any of us in this room can remember facts. We can remember that 3 plus 3 equals 6, and that does not do anything to us, right? That doesn't impact us in any way. There's no emotions that that kind of remembering brings about. That's just mental remembering of something. But these events that I talked about, these memories, I would imagine that as you remember these things, and if you took more time to really sit there and remember all of these different moments, that they would do something to you. It wouldn't just be something, knowledge that you remember and it doesn't impact you. When you have these memories, they impact your emotions and your feelings, and they may even impact your actions in the present, even though they may have happened years and years ago. For instance, if you take the time, husbands or wives, to think about the vows that you spoke to your spouse in that moment, hopefully as you remember that moment, that would impact the way that you live up to those vows today. In that same way, some of you had lunch plans, but if you were to take some time and remember that In-N-Out burger for the first time, you may quickly change those lunch plans after the service. Memories have power if we remember them. There's a power to remembering that can change our present. And what this psalm that we will be studying today, Psalm chapter 103, what it has as its goal is that we would be compelled as God's people to remember some truths in such a way, not just that we remember them intellectually, but that they impact us in the present, that they change us today. And so if you would, let's read the text together, Psalm chapter 103. We're going to read like we have been throughout the series, the entire psalm together. Let's begin together in verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions From us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all of his works in all his places of dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's the word of God this morning. 
Now, this is an amazing psalm, isn't it? I mean, it's beautiful. It's poetic. This is a, a, a psalm that is so full of the character of God. But what I want you to realize this morning is that this psalm that we're looking at is actually very different than every other psalm we're going to look at. And it's different because of one thing, and that's because of what it's addressed to. I want you to look in verse 1 and then in verse 22, the very beginning of it and the very end. And what you'll find is that this psalm, this song, this prayer is not primarily addressed to God. He's not crying out to God like we saw last week when he was in that that pit of despair. He's, He's not even talking to other people. Who is he talking to here? He says, bless the Lord what? Oh my soul. This psalm is is different because in this moment, he's speaking to himself. (laughs) He's giving a sermon to his own heart, to his soul, the innermost part of his being. And the reason for this is that he realizes that in his core, in his heart of hearts, he has a problem. And this morning, I would submit to you that David's problem, that David is the writer of this psalm, the king of Israel, his problem is no different than your problem this morning. It's no different than my problem this morning. And it's a problem that if left unchecked will affect every part of our lives. It is the problem that is the the root of our frustration. It's the root of our anxiety. It's the root of our despair. It's the root of our pride. It's the root of our insecurity. What is this problem? Well, we see it in verse 2. Look at it there with me. What does he say? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? And forget not all his benefits. You see, what this passage reveals is that if you are a Christian, one of the greatest challenges you are going to face in this life is your own tendency to forget. One of the greatest problems in your heart, in the core of your being, in your soul, is this tendency toward forgetfulness. Now, you may hear that and think, well, that's pretty anticlimactic. I forget lots of things, and that's not really that big of a deal. But we're not talking about here just forgetting something off your grocery list, okay? We're not talking about even a forgetfulness of a birthday or an anniversary. In the Scriptures, to remember is one of the most crucial commands that God gives to his followers. Right after God's people had been rescued out of Egypt, one of the very first things that God commands them to do is to take heed lest what? Lest they forget the Lord. You move on to the prophets, and the prophets are constantly bringing these indictments against God's people. And one of the indictments that they often will say is this, you have forgotten your God. Isaiah 17 verse 10 says this, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Now the reason that this may not seem like, uh, or may may seem like a small matter to us is that our word for remember is really weak. Most of the time when we use that word remember, we're just talking about something we do with our minds. It's an intellectual activity. I just have to remember this fact or I have to remember this date in history. It's something that I do with my mind. But in the scriptures, to to remember is something very different than that. You see, the Israelites had not merely forgotten that there was a God. That wasn't their problem. They had not forgotten that the plagues had happened. They had not forgotten that the parting of the Red Sea had happened. It wasn't that they mentally couldn't remember those things. The problem is for, for Israel 
is that those realities, those truths, were no longer controlling them. They were no longer at the center of their consciousness. They had forgotten the Lord. You see, in the scriptures, to remember is to have something so central to your consciousness that it affects every part of your life, especially your behavior. To remember something means that it is so real to you that it actually changes how you act in the present. Now, let me give you an example of this. I would imagine all of you at some point have had some situation, you've done something really dumb, or maybe you've done something sinful, and you looked at that and you said, you know what, I am never, ever, ever, ever going to do this again, all right? We've all had that moment. In that moment, it's so obvious to you how painful that was, or destructive it was, or sinful it was, that you say, I am never going to do that again. But then what happens? A year passes, or maybe just a month passes, or maybe just a week passes, or some of us just a day passes, and what do we do? That exact same thing. Now, is it that you didn't remember that that had happened? Of course you remembered that it happened. What's the difference? It's no longer controlling you. It's no longer at the center of your consciousness. It's no longer controlling your actions. That thing has, that was once so real to you, that was so once so gripping to you, no longer grips your soul. And that's what David is talking about here. We don't know the circumstances that David is encountering. We don't know if he's at that depth of despair like we talked about last week. or We don't know if this was after a great victory for David, a time of prosperity and joy. It doesn't really matter. What he says to each one of us is this. It doesn't matter what season you are in. You very often need to give a sermon to your own soul. And that sermon has one simple point. Remember. Do not forget the benefits of the Lord. So what are those benefits? Well, I'd like to just talk through these. This is not anything new for you. If you've been in church very long, if you've been part of our church, you've heard all these things before. But the problem is we forget them. They no longer control us. And so David begins to outline what are those benefits of the Lord. We see the first one in verse 2 where he talks about remembering God's forgiveness. He looks to his own soul and he says, Remember, O my soul, the forgiveness that God has brought about. Verse 2, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What are those benefits? Who forgives all your iniquity. You see, through the system of sacrifices in the Old Testament, David knew in part what we now know in full today, and that is this, that God can forgive all of our iniquity. That word iniquity, if you're new to the Bible, it's, it's a word that simply means this, sin. It's any action, thought, word, behavior, motivation that is against the expressed will of God. God has very clearly laid out, both in Scripture, but even in our own consciousness, we know how we are supposed to live. We know good from right, right from wrong, good from evil. And yet, so often, what do we do? We choose to go against God's will. We choose to do what he says here, sin. Now, I realize that in our culture, that word sin is not a real popular word. It's a word that we try to avoid. But all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we have done wrong. We know that if we stand accountable before God, that, that there are many things that we have done that, that would, we'd be ashamed of in our lives. We know that the Bible is true when it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know this. 
And that's why David at the very beginning here highlights forgiveness as the first thing he needs to remind his soul of. From the greatest sin that causes you the deepest sense of shame to those sins that you don't even realize are there, he says he has forgiven all of your iniquity. How is this? Look at verse 10. It says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. In other words, what he's saying is this. We do not get what we deserve. We don't get what we deserve. Because we have rebelled against our Creator, because we have seen God's will and we've gone against it, what we deserve is a very swift verdict of judgment. We have earned death, both physical and spiritual. These are the things that we earn, and these are the things that we deserve. But what does he say? He does not deal with us according to our iniquities. Instead, we know that because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, what? He deals with us according to Jesus' righteousness on our behalf. You see, this morning, I hope that you never allow this. I know you haven't forgotten this. I know you haven't forgotten that Jesus has forgiven you, but I'm asking you this morning, does that control you? Does that change your present? Jesus has forgiven us. The cross was the place of the great reversal. Jesus took upon himself the sin and the punishment for our sin that we deserve. But instead, what does he do? He gives us the righteousness that we don't deserve. He declares us innocent of our sin so that we can have a relationship once again with God. This is amazing. David, the person who is writing this psalm, was a great sinner. We're going to talk about this next week. Mike's going to talk about, I believe, Psalm 52. We're going to see that David was a great sinner. He was a man that struggled with lust. He was callous toward others. He sexual immorality, pride. He used anger, murder, all of these things, hypocrisy. David was a great sinner. And David knew this about himself. David was honest about his own heart. He knew his sin. And that's why he sings this song. He can cry out, God, it is you who has forgiven me. Verse 12, I love. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. What an amazing metaphor that is. Have you taken hold of that this morning? You go to the highest mountain, and you look to the eastern horizon, and you look to the western horizon. How far apart are those horizons? They're infinitely apart. No matter how many miles you go to the east or how many miles you go to the west, those two points will never come together. He says, that's, far, that's how far your punishment for your sin has been removed from you. Your sin is no longer your master. It has been removed, not by your own power, not by your own goodness or your own good works, but because Jesus has removed it. He has removed our sin. It is so important this morning that each one of us sings this song to our soul on a daily basis. If you sing this song to your soul, if you take hold of what that actually means, I can promise you, your sin will not be something small and insignificant. Some of you this morning, there's sin in your life. There's things going on in your life where you know I'm rebelling against God. I'm not doing what he's called me to do. But you've said, you know, it's not not really a, a big matter to me. Friend, you've forgotten what it cost Jesus to bring about the forgiveness of your sin. Some of you, though, on the other hand, are so overwhelmed with your sin that that you can't move forward in your spiritual walk. You're stuck in guilt and shame this morning. 
You're thinking, I can never go again. I can never enter into God's presence again. I can't believe I did that. Friend, if you're there this morning, then you've forgotten. David says, remember, O my soul, the benefit of God's forgiveness. What an amazing gift. But he doesn't end there. He says also that we should remember God's healing. Look at that next part. He says, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Because he is talking to his soul and he connects it with iniquity right beforehand, I'm pretty confident that when he says that God heals all of our diseases, he's not talking primarily about our physical health. In this text, yes, of course, God is going to bring about a full healing of our physical bodies. He does heal us in the present. He will heal us in the future. But I don't think that's what God's talking about here. The greatest disease that exists in our hearts is not our physical problems, but instead, what is it? The battle against sin. And so what David is saying here is not only does God forgive us of our sin, we're given a a declaration that we are innocent, that we are free of our sin, but what he also promises here is that God is going to bring about a complete healing from the effects of our sin. What an amazing picture. Isaiah 53 speaks of the suffering servant who will bring this about. He says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and what? And with his wounds, we are healed. In this life, the process of healing from sin can be a long one. There's consequences for sin in this life. Our battles with sin, they're ongoing. Even as Christians, we continually battle sin that wages war in our hearts. But David says this, do not forget your healing is certain. It may seem like it's a battle you cannot win, but that's simply not true. God is healing you in the present, and ultimately you will be healed of the disease of sin. Some of the most beautiful songs about freedom that you will ever hear were written by slaves as they were encountering the worst oppression that humanity could could ever imagine. And yet, what did they do? They continued writing. They continued singing songs about freedom, even in the midst of their battle, believing that God would bring it about. In the same way, David calls us to sing in the here and now. Even though we may not experience the full benefit of what we're singing about until a future day. On those days where sin is battling against us the most, we need to be reminding our souls, we are going to be cured of this disease. Jesus is working in my heart to bring about my healing. David then goes on to sing about another thing, God's assurance. Look at verse 4. It says, who redeems your life from the pit. This morning, I want you to just think about your life this morning. Have there been some moments when God has redeemed you from the pit? For some of you, it may be some of those dark moments that we talked about last, last week, those seasons of darkness where God rescued you from that pit. For some of you, it may be circumstances that you thought you'd never get out of. It is so important that we remember those moments when God reaches down and he rescues us from the pit. Israel is a perfect picture of what we oftentimes do. We forget when God rescues us from those pits, right? Right? You think about Israel and Exodus. 
As a people, they were crying out to God. They were suffering under the oppression of of Egypt. They had no hope to escape. They were in pain. They were in suffering. And they cry out to God, and what does he do? He rescues them. He sends Moses, the deliverer. He sends the plagues. He parts the Red Sea. He gives them everything they need for their journey to that promised land. And yet, what does Israel do? Right after they get out of Egypt, what do you find them doing? Complaining. They're angry with God. God, why would you do this? Why would you bring us to this place? They they question the character of God. They question the character of their leaders. What have they done? They've forgotten. They hadn't forgotten that the plagues had happened. They hadn't forgotten that Moses had showed up. They had forgotten God, who he is and what he had done. They had forgotten that he had rescued him from the pit. No matter how good or bad your circumstances or background are, If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you have been rescued from the pit. Because whether you've encountered a season of darkness or not, like we talked about last week, friend, you have been rescued from the pit of death, which is really the pit that David is talking about here. That pit of death, which is the end of every man. He says if if you have a covenant relationship with God, you have been rescued from that pit. Death is not the end. I know for a good number of you, and even in this last few months, you've you've come face to face with death. Maybe it's the death of a relative, someone that you love very closely. Death is not the end. He reminds his soul, God has redeemed me from the pit. That redemption came at a very costly price, the death of Jesus on the cross. Last but not least, he says this, remember God's kindness. Look at the end of that. He says, God, who crowns you with the steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I don't know about you, but as I was reading this text, I thought, man, I missed so many opportunities to give gratitude and a praise to God for his kindness toward me. I mean, you think about that. God's mercy, God's kindness, God's God's forgiveness, all of these things are, are things that we don't rarely think about in our lives. On our normal daily basis, when we're at work, how often do you think about God's kindness toward you? We've already talked about his forgiveness and redemption, but that kindness doesn't stop there. He's given us his incredible word so that we can know how life is meant to be lived. He's given us comfort. When you come to him, he hears your voice. He hears your cry. He's given you life and strength and vitality. When you come to him, you experience peace and joy. You experience security. When you come to God, all of a sudden you realize that he's the giver of breath and life. He's the giver of food and shelter. His kindness is all around us. But far too often, I think we just simply miss it. When's the last time you thought about God's compassion toward you? Verse 13, it says this, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I love that. I love that phrase, God knows your frame. What is he saying by that? He's saying God knows you with all of your weaknesses. God knows you with all of your failures. God knows you with all of your faults. And yet, what does he say? He treats us like his children with compassion. He continues, no matter what sin we've done, to continues to extend mercy and kindness toward us. 
we can go into the presence of the living God and he hears our voice. I thought about how amazing that is. I mean, if you wanted to go and see a ruler, maybe it was a president or a king, you don't just walk in unannounced, right? You walk in unannounced to go see the president, you're going to get killed. The only people that can walk in unannounced to see the king, to see the president, are who? His family. His children, right? It's amazing. God says that's how we can approach him. Even though he is the Lord of lords, he is the king of kings, he is overpower over all things, he is sovereign, he is the holy one, he is the ultimate judge, it says that he has compassion on us, his children. He knows our frame, and yet he invites us to draw near to him. What an amazing gift this morning. Church family, what this psalm is calling us to do this morning is to slow down. This psalm is calling this morning to stop our busyness. To stop focusing on the latest thing that we've read on social media. Stop focusing on what that latest news headline was. To stop focusing on where we're going for lunch after the service or or what we've got to get done before Monday comes around. Stop focusing on what the stock market's going to do this next week. To stop this morning as a church family and to remember. What are we to remember? The benefits of the Lord. It's not enough to simply say, oh, I believe all these things, Ryan. I believe that I'm forgiven. I believe that I've been redeemed. I I, I know these things intellectually. That's not what Psalm 103 is talking about. What Psalm 103 is saying is that as God's people... We need to have a disciplined, daily contemplation on these realities until they are burning within our soul. Until they change us. Until they change the way that we interact with our spouse or our kids. Until they change the way that we see our workplace. Until they change the way that we interact with other people or the way that we interact with the news headlines that we're seeing. He says, stop and remember these realities. The problem for each one of us is not All these other things, the problem is that our heart condition is not in the right place because we have not correctly remembered. By the end of this psalm, I like like what David does. He started off, bless the Lord, O my soul. By the end, he is so overwhelmed with the benefits of the Lord that what does he do? He begins to say, everyone needs to join me in this. He says, bless the Lord, O you angels. Look at verse 20. He says, bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works and all of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I like what another pastor said about this psalm. He said, what you need most is to speak the truth of God into your heart until it catches fire in the presence of God. I cannot encourage you enough, church family, to read this psalm, to pray this psalm, and personalize it for yourself. Over and over, day after day, go back to this psalm, 103, time and time again, until these truths about God's forgiveness and his assurance and his healing and his kindness are burning within your soul, and they affect everything that you do. This morning, are you struggling with guilt? Remember verse 2, he forgives your sins. Are you struggling with uh, feeling that sin is never going to be won, that you, you never are going to be able to defeat it? Remember, he heals your diseases. Do you feel unloved this morning? Do you feel rejected or maybe dishonored? Do you feel forgotten? 
Remember, he crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Are you afraid of death? Or do you feel like you're in a situation that is hopeless that you can't get out of? Remember, he redeems your life from the pit. Every problem you face is because you're failing to take some aspect of the gospel and to place it at the center of your life. You're failing to remember. This morning, as we close our time together, we are going to give you time to remember. I think it's very fitting that as we think about God's forgiveness and his healing and his assurance and his kindness, that we as a church family have the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper together. As you come to this table and as you, as you take of the, the bread and as you take of the cup, what are you doing? Well, the New Testament tells you that you're doing two things. You're doing exactly what David calls us to do in this text. He, he says, number one, in, in, in the communion, you're remembering. You're remembering Jesus' body, which was the ultimate price for our sin. He took upon himself the punishment that we deserve. You're remembering that as you take the bread. As you take that cup, what are you remembering? His blood that was shed for us. His blood that was shed as the sacrificial lamb so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that our sin could be gone as far as the east is from the west. But not only are you remembering, what are you doing? If you remember 1 Corinthians, it says you're also, what? Proclaiming. When you come and you take this bread and you take this cup, you are again preaching a sermon to yourself and to everyone around you in this room. So many times you're dealing with emotions, you're dealing with circumstances, and it's so important as God's people that we take hold of those emotions, that we take hold of those circumstances, and we speak truth of God's word into those occasions. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity to proclaim the good news of the gospel to your soul. It's an opportunity for you to proclaim to the others in this room what Jesus has done. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not someone that has entered into that covenant relationship with God, you've not turned from your sin and trusted in what Jesus has done on the cross, this morning I would ask that you not take communion because this morning it's impossible to, to fully remember something you've never experienced. But my hope and my prayer for you is that if that's you in this room, that you would know these benefits that I've talked about this morning, his forgiveness, his assurance, his kindness, his healing, it is available to you because of what Jesus has done. My prayer for you is that you would turn to Jesus, that you turn from your sin and trust in what he has accomplished for you. For those of us who are Christians though, this morning, I would ask that you take this time to prepare your heart, to remember what Jesus has done, and in these moments to proclaim once again, to remind your heart of these important truths. Our deacons in just a moment are going to come forward and pass out the communion elements. I just ask that you would take this time to simply pray. Remember what Christ has done for you. Think about your own sin. Think about how he's rescued you from the pit. Think about how he is healing you of your diseases this morning. And then in a moment, I'll have everybody stand and we'll take the Lord's Supper together, proclaiming to our own hearts and to one another what Jesus has done. Deacons, if you would, go ahead and come forward. Church family, if you would use this time as a time of prayer.